Well, I met my wife while I was in college, uh, but we didn't immediately start dating. We were friends for a little while, we, we hung out some more, and there was a time where it became pretty obvious to me and her, I liked her and she liked me. But instead of just asking her out on a date, because guys, that's too simple, right? Um, I, I, we just kind of kept hanging out and, and we were in this weird like friends, but more than friends zone. You ever been there? Yeah, say amen. If your girl is here with you, just let them know. Uh, you're in that zone right now. Some of you know what that's like. You've been in that season before. You're in that season now. And uh, we were in that season where it's like we're hanging out. We like each other, but we're not really sure where this is going. And it all came to a head. Uh, my buddy and I were an event at an event at our church. And uh, my wife, eventual wife, was there. And she walks by my buddy and says this. She says, I'm done. And she was talking about me. Because she was frustrated with me that we've been hanging out for months on end, playing foosball together in our apartment, hanging out, going to the movies with other people, doing all sorts of stuff, going on walks, playing tennis for like four hours and never actually playing tennis. You've been there, right? We were doing all these things, and she was frustrated that I never declared my intentions, that I never expressed to her, hey, this is how I feel about you, and this is where we're going in life, and this is what I, how I want to pursue you, and all those things. And she came to this point where she said, I'm done. Now, my buddy, good friend, right, comes to me and says to me, hey, bro, you should do something. Like, now is the time. And so, so a, a few uh, answering machine message, messages later, we didn't have cell phones back then, uh, I, I called, left messages. She wasn't answering. She was frustrated with me. But I'm like, hey, no, it's not going down like, like this, right? Uh, and I call her over and over. I leave some messages. Finally, she agrees to meet with me. And I sit her down and I say, girl, I like you. I want to pursue you in a relationship, and I'm sorry that I've waited so long. Like, I got issues, but I like you, and I want to pursue you. And that was a turning point in our relationship. Right, we had the DTR, the defining the relationship. I don't know if that's a thing now. It was all the rage in college when I was in college. But we had that, that all-important DTR. We defined the relationship, and it was a turning point because we moved from this place of, hey, I'm curious about you, and I want to keep it casual with you. We're just hanging out. I mean, I kind of like you, but I'm going to hold my cards close to the deck. And, and we kind of went from that place of curiosity to a place of commitment. We said, hey, we're committed to one another, and things changed. That's what we see in our passage today. Sean just read it, Mark chapter 3. We see this, this turning point in the gospel of Mark where there's, there's some people who are curious about Jesus. There's some crowds, but then we see a group of people that are committed to Jesus. And it's a turning point in their relationship with Jesus. It's a turning point in the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to look at that turning point and see kind of what, which crowd do we fall into? What, which path are we going down? And how can we, we change it if we're just in that curious, keeping it casual mode? So that's where we're headed. So Mark chapter 3, if you didn't already, grab a Bible, get God's word in front of you. We're going to be in verses 7 through 19. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time today, we're six weeks into this series, Who Do You Say That I Am?, looking at the life of Jesus and how his life affects our life. And so we're six weeks into that, Mark chapter 3. Our first point is going to be this, if you take notes, curious fans, curious fans. Look at verse 7 with me. We see Jesus withdrew 
Luke's gospel actually tells us more detail than that. He says Jesus goes and prays all night. What's happening is Jesus is getting some alone time. Jesus, if you've been with us, has been with lots of people over and over, doing things with lots of people, and Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human, and so he needs some alone time. And he goes away, he withdraws to get that alone time, but a great crowd follows him. Parents, this is what it's like when you think you're alone because you're in the bathroom, and then you look up, and your kids are beating down the door, and they're like, Mommy, Daddy, we need you. And you turn around, and they're right there everywhere you go. This is not hypothetical. Amen, parents? Like, the kids are always there. You're stumbling over them, even though you're trying to get some alone time. That's what's happening with Jesus. He goes and withdraws. The crowds follow. In fact, we see crowd three times in this passage. It's such a, a large crowd. Mark tells us that in verse 9, they have to get a boat ready so that the crowd doesn't crush him. And here's what's amazing about this as you read this. Again, different culture, different context, different time period. What's amazing is all these crowds are following Jesus as he tries to get alone because, verse 8 tells us, they heard all that he was doing. Now, I know this is going to be hard for some of you to picture, but think about this time. Gospel of Mark, ancient Jewish culture. No social media. I know, there was a time, right? No news, no Fox News, no CNN. No iPhones. And yet, this crowd of people, Jesus goes to be by himself, and this crowd of people hears all that he is doing. Verse 8, it talks about these surrounding cities and towns. They're coming from the north, east, west, south. If you look at it, some of those places that are mentioned there are up to 120 miles away. Some people would have had to have a six-day journey on foot to follow Jesus because they heard of what he was doing. And so we got to ask, what's Jesus been doing? I mean, how is he trying so hard to be by himself, but everywhere he goes, can you picture this? The crowds are there, and there's no mass media at this time. What is Jesus doing that people would hear about? that they would follow him in this way. Well, verse 10, it tells us, look at that verse, it says he's healing people. And we've seen that over the last five weeks, we've seen Jesus heal people in miraculous ways. We just sang about it, that, that God's a God of miracles, that he's healing people of all these diseases. He's touching a leper, someone who is unclean, and he's taking that leprosy from him. He's doing miraculous things, but he's not just healing the body, he's impacting the soul. Remember what we've seen in the Gospel of Mark so far. We've seen Jesus heal a paralyzed man, a guy who couldn't walk. They raise him through the, or they lower him through the ceiling, and he gives him life back to his legs. And the guy, the paralyzed man, doesn't have to go back through the roof. No, he walks out of the house because God heals him. But he doesn't just heal his legs. Remember what Jesus does in that moment? He forgives the paralytic of his sins. And everybody's looking around. Nobody forgives sin except God. So he doesn't just heal the body. He impacts the soul. He tells demons a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Mark to shut up. Just in a moment. 
Shut up, leave that man. The demons obey, scripture tells us, and they leave him. We see that again in this moment, verses 11 through 12, kind of happens again. He, he orders the demons that are falling on their face before Jesus saying, you're the son of God. He says, don't tell anyone. This is the kind of authority, not just healings, but the authority that Jesus is showing. Last week, Jeff Blake was here, the Phoenix Christian School Superintendent. Love that he got to be here with you guys and preach to you guys. And he talked about uh, relationship over religion. And he looked at all these accounts of these religious practices and how Jesus blew up all these religious practices to point us to the end game of relationship. And one of those things was the Sabbath. One of those crazy, scandalous things that Jesus says is, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Now again, different context, different culture. A Jewish person with the Sabbath, maybe you've actually met somebody who's Jewish, Jewish and you see the sacred way in which they handle the Sabbath, right? The way they, they talk about it, you see what they do. I know we have Jewish neighbors and, and it drastically changes their day, their, their practice of the Sabbath. In fact, I was talking to a friend recently who, who was walking down the street with a Jewish friend and they needed to cross the street at the crosswalk. And he had to push the crosswalk, the button, so they could go across the street. He had to push it because his Jewish friend couldn't push it. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath is that sacred for years and years and years. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, just, just imagine what that would have been like. This isn't just healing. This is authority, unprecedented authority like no one has ever seen before. And so, yeah, come 120 miles, we gotta see this. I mean, to see it because we're thrilled about it, to see it because we're threatened about it, I don't care why they were there, but they were there to see this Jesus, one who had come with authority like they had never seen before. That's what's happening. That's why even though there's no iPhones or social media, people are hearing about Jesus and the multitudes are gathering. That's the scene that we show up to in Mark chapter three. And listen, the point, maybe you're getting this a little bit, curious fans, maybe that seems like, oh, that's, that's such a bad thing, we don't wanna be that. And we do wanna move past that, we're gonna talk about that. But ultimately, curious fans and a crowd is not a bad thing. A pastor and author in New York, Tim Keller, said this. He said, I trust that you will find the figure of Jesus worthy of your attention. Unpredictable, yet reliable. Gentle, yet powerful. Authoritative, yet humble. Human, yet divine. That there is a sense in which the person and work of Jesus, the character and nature of Jesus, it should get our attention. Some of you are here today because Jesus has gotten your attention. You've heard about Jesus. You're investigating Jesus. You're curious about Jesus. And listen, we love it that you are here. We want you to figure that out with us alongside Jesus-centered people. And so it's not a bad thing that there's a crowd, but ultimately Jesus wants to move them from being a crowd to being committed. Ultimately, if you're here, just to let the cat out of the bag, put all hands on deck, move the chips to the middle of the table. If you're here curious about Jesus, we want you to be committed to Jesus. We say it this way, that we want you to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. And some of you, if you're honest, hey, I'm just trying to figure out how to love Jesus and maybe understand that he loves me and I'm not there yet. And we're glad you're here. We want you to move along that spectrum. And what's great about today is we're gonna see 
how that happens. And that leads us to our second point, which is committed followers. Committed followers. Look at verse 13 with me. We see Jesus go up on a mountain. He starts calling people to himself. It says he appoints 12 people. These are called apostles or disciples that we see in the gospels. And Mark begins to make this distinction between crowd and committed, between the fans that are curious to to people that are going to be committed followers of Jesus. And there is a distinction, isn't there? I was thinking about it for me. I have a older pastor friend that I look to a lot. He's a mentor in my life. And I was talking to him uh, about some of this, about what it means to follow Jesus. And he said, hey, you know, I saw an example of this recently in our church. A guy calls me up, an older guy in our church calls him up and and says, hey, my wife is sick. And uh, we think she has maybe a year to live. And this is a guy he knew was in the church, but he didn't know well. Uh, I didn't have a friendship, strong relationship with him. And so he just starts to listen. He just starts to counsel this older man who thinks, I'm probably about to lose my wife. It's coming quickly. And as he's trying to help him, he just says, hey, you know, but you've been in the church for a while, right? And he says, yeah, you know, like 12 years. I've been listening to your sermons and love your preaching. And oh, 12 years. And so, man, I know this is really hard, but it must be so good to have some people around you to walk through this pain with you must be so good to have some people praying for you. And, and I know just not me uh, doing that for you, but there's other people in our church just walking alongside you and, and you can see a purpose through this pain. And, and he, he just said in that moment, the guy sadly just looked down and said, actually, I don't. I don't have that. I mean, I've been, yeah, I've been coming to the church for 12 years, but to be honest, I come and I listen to your sermon, and I get inspired a little bit, and maybe I, my heart gets moved a little bit, and I throw up my hands a little bit, and, but then I just I go home, and it, it doesn't really affect my Monday, my Tuesday, and Wednesday. And we were talking about just how sad that is, that someone could come to church for 12 years, sit down, stand up, sing a song, even get inspired by a message from the word of God and it only affect their Sunday, not their Monday. And in a moment of of need, in a moment of pain, he doesn't have Christian community. He doesn't have the the following Jesus where you're, you're connected with other believers in the body of Christ where you're one of the saints that Ephesians 4.11 tells us that is equipped for the work of ministry, that in a moment of pain where he, he starts to assess and, and define the relationship and assess what kind of relationship do I actually have with Jesus and his bride, the church? And he looks around and it's just, it's just a curiosity. It's just an attending, really, a conference on a Sunday and leaving unmoved. see, Some of us, maybe you're not at the end of your life, you're not at that dire point, but some of you know what that feels like. It's exhausting, it's hopeless, that that you need more than just a a, a good 30-minute message to inspire you to get you through your week. You need to become a committed follower of Jesus, 
Someone who has other committed followers of Jesus who who say, hey, we're going to lock arms together. And this isn't just going to be a one hour on a Sunday. It's going to be a lifelong commitment. It's not just going to be a one-time prayer. It's going to be a lifelong commitment. It's not just going to be a song we sing. It's going to be a lifelong commitment. And so that in the victories and in the struggles, you are with Jesus. He is with you and his people are connected to you. And you can get through anything. That's what Jesus wants for the disciples. That's what Jesus wants for you. That could be why you're exhausted and tired and hopeless, and yet you come to church every Sunday. Because Jesus wants more for you than being a curious fan or a crowd or an attender. He wants you to be a committed follower. That's what he's inviting these people into. That's what he invites us into this morning. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated baptisms. And if you got to be here, you know how much of a celebration that was. Amen? It was amazing. One of the reasons it was amazing, Jeff, uh, the superintendent of this school, shared this last week. I loved hearing this as I listened to the sermon. He shared, and I think he got choked up a little bit, that this baptistry, you can't see it, it's behind these pallets, has been dry for a very long time, but it had water in it two weeks ago. And not just... It was dry, it had water, what's the big deal? It's symbolic of of activating this block, activating this area for the kingdom of God, seeing people cross over from death to life. That's what baptism is putting on display. And if you were here two weeks ago, you you heard, because we had it mic'd up, you heard two questions that I would ask people as I would dunk them in the water and bring them out of the water. You heard one question of, do you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sin? And they would say, yes. But we didn't stop there. We asked a second question. We said, do you commit to follow Jesus all the days of your life? And they would say, yes. And then we would dunk them, and you guys cheered, and we celebrated new life in Jesus. You see, the Christian life is not just a one-time prayer. No, it's a lifetime commitment to follow Jesus that when you get baptized, you are publicly declaring that. Hey, I'm about to go on a journey with Jesus for the rest of my life. That's what these people are being called to. That's what Jesus calls you to. It's a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus. Okay, so now that we have that established, to do what? I mean, what does it even look like to follow Jesus? What is Jesus calling these people to? What is Jesus inviting you to? We see it right in the text. Verse 14, looking back at that verse with me. You see this phrase, so that. He, he calls these 12 people, these, these apostles, so that. That indicates purpose. Anytime you see so that, we see three things of this purpose of why Jesus is calling us to follow him. The first thing is that we would be with him. You see that in the text? that we would be with Jesus. That we wouldn't just know things about Jesus, but we would have intimacy with Jesus. That's what Jesus invites you into. When you do declare, hey, I commit to follow Jesus all the days of my life. It's not a religion, it's not a system, it's not an agenda. It's a person that you have a relationship with. You're with Jesus, right? That means you, you spend time reading your Bible 
And we believe the presence of Jesus is with you, that Christ is in you. That means you spend time talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, and you're with Jesus. That you do things for Jesus, that you serve Jesus, yes. But you're also just with Jesus, that you abide in Jesus. You spend moments in your day quiet before God. Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. And you're with Jesus. My brother-in-law is um, in a band, was in a band called Flyleaf, and uh, they were pretty popular for a while. They had a record that went platinum. If you don't know, that's like a million records sold. And my brother-in-law was the lead guitarist and been in the band for a long time, and we would go to concerts, my wife and I, and we would see these people right after the, service, right after the, the concert, and they would rush up to my brother-in-law or the lead singer or somebody in the band, and they would just start talking to them like they knew them. Right? And they, they kind of did, right? They went to all the concerts, you know, these kinds of fans. Maybe some of you are these kinds of fans, right? You can admit that at church, safe place. And, and they would come up to them like, hey, I loved you in Sacramento. Hey, how's this going? And, and when they would, the crowd would subside and they would walk away, I would ask my brother-in-law, hey, Samir, like, that's really cool. Like, you, you know her. Like, she was just in the crowd. Like, you, you know her. And he's like, I don't know her. I mean, I kind of see her at the concerts, but I don't know anything where she lived. I don't know. How old? I don't know. She married? I don't know. And you start to realize these were curious fans, but not necessarily committed followers. These were kind of part of the crowd, but there was no real relationship. That's the distinction Mark is making, right? Yeah, you have lots of people who are, I want to see, I heard Jesus told the demon to shut up. Let's go see that guy. And maybe they would even interact with him, but they weren't really with him. They knew things about him, but they, they didn't really know him. They, they didn't have intimacy with him. And again, some of us, we sort of have that crowd mentality with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to come get your autograph. I was there on Sunday. I come a couple Sundays a month. I mean, I'm kind of here around Jesus. But if you honestly assess your life, you're not really with Jesus. As Jesus calls you to be his committed follower, he's inviting you for way more than that. He's inviting you to be with him in an intimate relationship with him. That's the first thing, the so that, that we might be with him. The second thing that Jesus is calling us into is that we wouldn't just be with him, we would be sent by him. That's what the word apostles means. It literally means sent ones. And so this is, we're with Jesus, but we don't just stay in our holy huddle, in our bubble. No, he sends us out, right? He sends us out into our communities, into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our careers, that we're with Jesus, and then he sends us out on mission for Jesus, That's what the word apostles means. That's what he invites us to. It's the reality that God's blessing never terminates on you. And it didn't just start here with Jesus. You look in the Old Testament, the life of Abraham, he says, hey, you're blessed, but it's to be a blessing. We say it again here at our church that love moves, right? That the love of Jesus moved him to earth. And when we receive that love, it doesn't stop with us. Did you know that? I want you to receive the love of Jesus. Know that he loves you. You're a child of God, loved by the king. I want that for you. 
But I don't want just that for you. Jesus doesn't want just that for you. That he wants you to know you're loved and that love to move, that's what that means, to move in you and through you and around you and that you might help other people receive the love of Jesus as well. So we're with Jesus, we're sent by Jesus. The third thing is we are empowered by Jesus. Look at the text. He says these people are given authority by Jesus to cast out demons. Again, the Gospel of Luke, a little bit more detail than Mark. In Luke chapter 10, we see this this same scene, and it says not just cast out demons, but expands to healing, to serving. Basically, that Mark is saying, hey, you've been given authority with Jesus, sent out by Jesus, empowered by Jesus to make a difference, right? That what Jesus is calling you into isn't a self help, self-powered life. I, well, I gotta do all these things. I gotta make a difference in people's lives. It's gotta be more than a Sunday. I got some things I gotta add to my list and some, some to-dos to put on that list. And I gotta white knuckle it and I gotta get this thing done. No, that's not what Jesus is calling you into. He has given you authority. It's like that Carrie Underwood song, Jesus Take the Will. You guys remember that song? It's kind of like that, but not really. Let me, let me tell you why. When I picture that song, here's kind of what I picture, right? I picture like Carrie Underwood's driving the car, right? And she, Jesus, take the wheel. And then Jesus is in the passenger seat, and he's like, I got this, right? It's more than that, right? Jesus gives you authority. Jesus is empowering you. His very life is within you. So you're not in the driver's seat. You're in the back seat. You're along for the ride. Jesus is leading you. Jesus is giving you the strength. Some of you are thinking, Tim, a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus. I know it's that. That's why I haven't done that yet. I'm comfortable with the keeping it casual curiosity because I can't follow Jesus. I can't be holy as he's holy. I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church. I can't be a friend who's with someone and prays for that person in a difficult time. You don't know me. I can't do that. And Jesus would tell you, I know you can't do that, so that's why I'm giving you my authority so you can. You're in the backseat. You're along for the ride as you're with Jesus, for Jesus, empowered by him. That's what distinguishes committed followers of Jesus. That's what you do if you're a follower of Jesus. The second thing is, who were followers of Jesus? Who would Jesus pick for his team? Who would he pick for his team today? Who do, who do you think? Maybe some best-selling authors, maybe some celebrity pastors, or at least just pastors, right? Because they're really spiritual. Maybe some TV evangelists, right? If we, if we were to look upon our, our Christian culture today and think, man, who would Jesus pick on his team? Who is he coming after? We'd probably think some of those people. But if we look at Mark 3 and look at some of these names, it blows that out of the water, right? No TV evangelist in here. No megachurch pastor, no best-selling author in this list, right? We have a diverse, ordinary group of men. We have tax collectors. We have fishermen. We have Simon Peter who... The best way to say it is just didn't get a lot right, right? 
Didn't get a lot right in the Gospel of Mark. Didn't get a lot right in the other Gospels that we read. You have James and John, the sons of thunder. What a great nickname, right? But then you also have James, who at another point, this is the other James. Another point in Scripture, James is called James the Lesser. Can you imagine his insecurity? I mean, the other James got son of thunder, and I got James the lesser, right? Why? You have a diverse, an ordinary group of people, fishermen, tax collectors, no resume. Jesus is shredding resumes when it comes to asking people to follow him. He doesn't need recommendations. They didn't have any, but they did have one. It was the son of God saying, hey, I'm coming to get you. You don't need any other recommendations because you got mine. This is an ordinary, diverse group of people. Listen, it's why I love the local church. Because in this room, we have an ordinary, diverse group of people. And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I'm ordinary, but there's some people on stage. I mean, they seem different. Listen, we're way more spiritual, way less spiritual rather than we look, right? Everybody in here is ordinary and diverse, But Jesus moves in our lives. He comes to get us. He says, I am the son of God. I am coming to give you power and you're gonna go out. You're gonna be with me, but then you're gonna go out and you are going to make a difference. And I don't need a celebrity pastor. I need you on your block, on your street, in your job, in your cube. He's looking for you. Why? Because you're a person made in the image of God. And he's looking for you and you and you and you. This is what they do. This is who they are. This is what Jesus invites us into if we follow him. Last thing is um, some of us, um, I think we hear this and we think, okay, I want to follow Jesus, right? I don't want to just be in the crowd. I don't want to be a curious fan. I want to be a committed follower. And so the question I would ask you today is, is what's holding you back from that? Maybe as you have a a define the relationship moment this morning, a turning point moment, you start to look at your life and there's some things in your life that you feel like, well, first, I got to leave these things behind. First, I got to reconcile these things and then I can follow Jesus. Maybe I'll keep coming a few more Sundays and then I'll, I'll follow Jesus. But the reality is, today is the day to follow Jesus. You see another passage that talks about following Jesus is Luke chapter 9. It says this, it says, Jesus says himself, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There's two key phrases I want you to pay attention to just briefly. The first one is deny yourself. It's the reality that if we're going to say yes to following Jesus, we do have to say no to some other things. We have to deny ourselves. And some of us, we want to follow Jesus. We like Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But I, I got these things. And you need to know, Jesus wants to take you on a journey starting today, but on a journey of all your days to leave those things behind and to follow Jesus, to deny yourself. 
And this is difficult. I think this is what keeps most people from following Jesus. Right? They've read scripture. They know there's evidence that Jesus is the son of God. They've looked at the resurrection. They've seen that Jesus' brother, James, he even said he wrote a book about Jesus rose from the dead. And no brother would say that about his brother. Amen? So you've looked at the evidence. You know intellectually, I believe Jesus is God. I even need that. But I got some things. And you don't want to let go of them. It's like when I was uh, little, my parents used to take me to the uh, fitness center in our town and just drop me off and leave me for like three hours, right? And I would, I would pump some weights, right? I would play a little basketball, but I would also eat frozen yogurt. And it wasn't like the healthy froyo they have today. Like this was just straight sugar. And I made friends with the front desk guy and he would just give me loads and loads, cups and cups of this frozen yogurt and I would just down them, right? And I would get home from this sugar crash and just be done with, right? But I would get a few weights in. It's like uh, what I've seen recently, some people aren't vegetarians, they're flexitarians. Have you guys seen this? Like they eat vegetables most of the time unless there's like bacon, right? I kind of, I can get behind that, right? And so it's like, hey, I'm going to work out a little bit, but I'm going to eat my frozen yogurt. Hey, I'm going to eat my Brussels sprouts, but you got some bacon to throw on there. And we kind of, like, I want to say yes to this, but I want to keep my bacon. I want to say yes to Jesus, but I want to keep my frozen yogurt. And the reality is, as Jesus calls you to follow him today, there are some things that you need to start leaving behind. As you say yes to Jesus, there's some other things you got to say no to. And some of us, that's just really difficult for us because as we look at our lives, we're like, I want to follow Jesus. And you're like, Okay, well, that bitterness, I mean, that has to go. You got to forgive that other person. You're like, well, I, don't, I don't hang on to that. It's my bacon. Well, you're going to follow Jesus. So that means you're like connecting with other people in community, right? Walking in accountability, having people pray for you. Well, I just want to come to church on Sunday. I ain't trying to get extreme about this. Oh, I want to follow Jesus. So that means, hey, you need to give of your tithes and offerings and show that Jesus is your treasure above everything else in your life. I want to follow Jesus. Who said anything about my finances? We think, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be spiritual, but don't talk about my sexuality. I mean, spirituality, that's fine, but sexuality, I mean, that's mine. I mean, I have these desires. I can't give those up and leave those behind to follow Jesus. I want Jesus but I want all these other things. I wanna keep all these other things, but maybe sprinkle some Jesus on top. Listen, if you, if you have that moment where you assess that, the reality is you are exhausted, why? Because it doesn't work that way. To follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. You have to say yes to him and no to some other things. You have to grab hold of him and let go of some other things, and that starts today. Another key word in Luke chapter 9 is, is daily, to take up your cross daily. That daily part has been so encouraging in my life for a few reasons. One, it's the reality of it's just a daily thing. You got to do it every day. It's not a one-time fix. It starts today, but it continues tomorrow. Another reason why I love that is there's the urgency. It's, it's today. Don't wait. But then what I love is there's also the grace of it's, it's one day at a time. You see, maybe you, you've thought about following Jesus and, and you've been invited to follow Jesus, but you start thinking, well, Tim, I can't just start today. I mean, what about all the things in my past? I mean, Tim, what about all the things in my future? Like, if I follow Jesus fully, 
how will this affect my career? I mean, you're saying I gotta leave some things behind, let some things go, give my money, like my sexuality's gonna change? Like, Tim, if I follow Jesus, how is this really gonna affect my future? Can we make a pros and cons list first? And you're overwhelmed. Maybe in church, you've, received, you've heard an invitation, hey, follow Jesus, and you're like, past, future, career, marriage, sexuality, sin that I can't get rid of. And you're like, ah, let's just go eat lunch. That's just too much. It's overwhelming. Do you hear the grace in Luke chapter nine? Take up your cross daily, one day at a time. Past, future, all those things. Today, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I don't know what that looks like, but I wanna give my life to you. I wanna give you my schedule, my sexuality, my sin. I don't even know how to give those things up yet, but Jesus, I surrender them to you. I want you to take them. I wanna follow you. And then you wake up the next day and you do it again. Hey, Jesus, I wanna pray for this conversation that I'm about to have, this meeting that I'm about to step into, this, this job, this conflict that I don't really know how to deal with. Jesus, I wanna follow you. And you wake up the next day and you do it again. Listen, what if you just took one day at a time to follow Jesus, to give up other things, to grab hold of him. A pastor at a church that we used to attend used to say it this way, hey, there's still a few more hours left in the day. He would end his sermons like that. There's still a few hours left in the day. I just think about today, starting today, there's still a few more hours left in the day. What do you need to give up? How do you need to follow Jesus? How do you need to lock arms with somebody else and do that together? What is that for you? Maybe it's just as simple as some of you saying, hey, instead of jetting to go eat lunch and watch a football game, I'm gonna stay for starting point, which is gonna be right down here after service. I'm gonna just hear about the church, hear what it means to follow Jesus. How do you get involved with other believers? I don't even know what that looks like. And for some of you, you didn't sign up for that, but you need to stay right after service. Some of you need to take that connect card that Graham talked about, tear it off, take it back there, and you can check, I decided to follow Jesus today because you've never made that decision. You're still trying to figure this Jesus thing out, and for the first time, you need to commit and say publicly, I want to follow Jesus. Listen, we wanna help you with that. If you fill that out, we'll pray for you, give you resources, help you with that process. Some of you, it's just leaving this place, and instead of just Cramming down your lunch, you talk to your waitress. Wow, this love is supposed to move me out to other people. She's another person, and so I'm not just gonna tip her. I'm gonna talk to her, ask her where she's from. We're gonna bless this waitress at our table. For some of you, it's, it's going home a little bit later today, and again, men, not just flipping on the TV and putting up your feet. It's washing the dishes. It's taking care of the kids. It's, it's not being on your phone, but on the floor with your kids. It's loving your wife sacrificially because you, you follow Jesus. There's a hundred things, right? What's your one thing today? There's still a few hours left in the day. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. He is good. He will bless you so you can be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women who are here gathered as a crowd, but God, you are calling them to be committed followers of you. Not because of their resume, not because of their recommendations, but because right now in this moment, you are recommending them. You are coming to get them. You are seeking after them. 
God, that's what they feel, that, that tug in their heart, that wrestle, that tension. God, I pray that they would know that's not what they ate for breakfast. That is the Holy Spirit of God. God, move in their lives, move in my life. Even those of us who would say, hey, we're Christians, but there's areas of my life where I haven't committed fully to follow Jesus in. I'm trying to hold on to those areas. God, I pray even in this moment, even as we sing, we would take this moment, that's what it's for, to let those things go. Our sexuality, we would give it to you. We would follow you with that. Our, our money, our relationships, our schedule, our career. God, what would you do if a group of men and women collectively just said, Jesus, wherever you want me to go, I'm following you. Whatever you want me to do with these resources, I, I want it to be your will. What would happen in this city? What would happen in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs? God, help us to see. Help us to give our lives to you completely, to fully follow you and see you move in and through and around us in mighty, mighty ways. God, I pray that for this church. I pray that for myself. I pray that for these men and women. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.